Okay. Um, don't you just love St. Peter? I mean, what, what an interesting character, right? Every time we meet him in the Bible, he's brash and bold and impulsive, and he really takes what the other disciples want to say, and he speaks it for them. In fact, when he does it, that which is in his head comes out of his mouth every time, right? And so you got to love the guy. And today, Peter in chapter 18 of Matthew's gospel is true to form, is he not? He's true to form. Uh, Jesus has just preached a little sermonette, right, on what it means to have church discipline when a brother has a grievance against another brother. If you've got to f- handle a dispute within the church for Christians You do not hold grudges. You do not do that. You do not gossip to other people about how terrible they are. You don't do that. You don't triangulate relationships where if I've got something against Terry, then I go to Corey. You don't do that in the church. In fact, Jesus says, go and be reconciled face to face with your brother so that you may win your brother back into the fold. That's what Christians do. So here comes the second question, and turn with me to chapter 18. Just that's the background. Chapter 18 of Matthew's gospel, and we're going to look at how Peter responds to this teaching. Because Peter's next question is, yeah, I understand that you're big on this forgiveness thing, but but how long do I have to do that? How many times? So here's the background. Peter knows from the Old Testament, Exodus 21, that a A godly person in ancient Israel in the Middle East could retaliate an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so Peter, in the back of his mind, when he asks this question, he thinks he's being grace-filled, magnanimous. Look at what a great Christian I am. Look at how far beyond Exodus 21 I'm willing to go in order to forgive my brother. In fact, look at verse 21. Peter came up to Jesus Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother who sinned against me? How many times? As many as seven? Seven. You know, he takes my chicken in the Old Testament. I get to take his chicken back. I don't get to go beyond that. I can't take two of his chickens. Or he takes my chicken, I can't kill his cow. But it was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Peter's saying, man, I'll forgive him seven times without retaliating. But he's actually, what he's asking is, at what point can I go punch him in the nose? (laughs) How many times do I have to do this? As many as seven times. Jesus is not impressed with this, although he thinks he's magnanimous. He says, Peter, verse 22, I say to you not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, seven, these seven times or 70 times seven, whichever translation you have, same thing, same thing. What Jesus is saying is, Peter If you're a Christian, you forgive infinitely, limitlessly, without boundaries, forgiveness without end, amen, is what Jesus is saying. Peter's saying, give me a number. Give me a number. Sometimes I want to say, give me a number, Jesus, because I want to take out my pound of flesh. Some of us would like to do that, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Seventy times seven, Jesus says. Jesus never gives simple answers. Verse 23 He breaks it down into a parable form. Look at this, verse 23. Suppose there's a king, we're talking about a Caesar king, an emperor king, who goes out to collect debts from some of his servant kings. These are vassal kings, servant kings, regional kings. 
And in verse 24, he finds one, brought him in, who owed 10,000 talents. That's quite a debt. A talent is about 75 pounds of precious metal in the ancient world, um, about $30,000 worth. And so he owes 10,000 times 30,000. He owes over $300 million to the emperor king. So the vassal king has mismanaged and squandered the big king's wealth. And so you might imagine, he couldn't repay that debt in a thousand lifetimes. He is in so much trouble with the big dog king, he can't even imagine. And in verse 25, you see the trouble. The great king ordered him to be sold. His wife, his children, everything he owned to be sold. But knowing his goose is cooked, I'll have to give this to him. Look at verse 26. The guy falls on his knees, begs for mercy, saying, have patience with me, please, and I'll repay everything. And in verse 27, we see great compassion and love and forgiveness and pity from the great king. The great king says to him, out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Out of pity for him. Now, that phrase is the phrase most often used to describe Jesus when he looks upon other people. It says in the Bible oftentimes his heart went out to him. He had pity and compassion upon him. The same things attributed to Jesus oftentimes. So what we're dealing with now, we know, is not just a Caesar king. We're dealing with the very compassionate nature of God himself, the nature of Jesus, who empathized with this man's horrible debt who put himself out there in the place of a sinner who had squandered much of the debt of the kingdom, who had squandered much of the money and left the great king with a huge debt. But what did he do? He pitied him. He forgave, his heart went out to him. He forgave him. And then he let him free. He let him go scot-free. And if you haven't figured out yet, that is the gospel in this story. In fact, Isaiah 53 said that when Jesus comes, this is written 700 years or so before Jesus, he will divide a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. And, and remember this? He was numbered with the transgressors. His heart went out to sinners, and he was numbered as one of us. And yet he bore the sins of those many and made intercession for the transgressors. The great king, instead of pouring out justice, poured out grace and love and forgiveness. You see, we're in the place of that vassal king, aren't we? We could never repay the debt of our sin in 10,000 lifetimes, $300 million or more worth of sin. To put it bluntly, Ephesians 2, Paul says we are dead in our sins and our trespasses. What can dead men and women do about themselves? Nothing. They've got to have a gracious Father who does the work of forgiveness on the cross of Christ and cancels out the debt. And that's what we're talking about here. 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ Jesus and not counting men's debts or trespasses against them. But here's the other thing. Somebody's got to pay, right? If you've wounded somebody in your life, Either you've got to assume the debt or they've got to pay the debt. And it was that way for Jesus. Rick and Laura Blanchard were great. A few weeks ago, they let us borrow their car. We were in great need. And uh, let me just use this as an example. 
Suppose I was doing something stupid, ran his car off the road, and almost demolished it fully. And I go up to Rick and say, Rick, thank you for letting us borrow your car, but I've crashed it, uh, but I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay the debt. I'm going to pay up. That would be justice, right? That would be right. It would be good for me to do. That's the right thing. That's justice. What about if Rick turned to me and says, Tripp, I love you, and and I I forgive you, and, and I'll pay the debt myself. That would be mercy, right? One's justice, and it's rightfully so. One's mercy, and it's full of grace and forgiveness. Now, I didn't do that, thank goodness, but I I love the idea of mercy, but I should have paid the debt had I done it. See, that's what we're dealing with today. This guy had his debt canceled, and yet he goes to another servant of his, and he applies justice instead of mercy. The great king absorbed the debt, remember? I'll forgive you all that you owe me. At great expense to me, at great expense to my kingdom, I will wipe the entire thing out and let you go free. And yet the guy couldn't apply that to somebody else who owed far less than he did. Jesus has taken our long list of sins, the things done and left undone before the Father, and he's given us an opportunity to cancel those debts forever. Now how in the world can we then go free, having received mercy, And not give mercy out to others. Verse 28. The guy finds one of his servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he demands the money at once. Then look at verse 28. He seized the guy and choked him and said to him, pay what you owe me. It's truly an amazing story. Almost laughable if it wasn't so sad. Pay me what you owe me. I'm going to extract my justice The guy should have been the most grace-filled, loving, joyful person in the world. Having just had his enormous debt canceled, he should have been the first one to go out and cancel everybody's debts. And yet he choked the guy. He chose justice over mercy. And in verse 32, the great king comes to him, you wicked servant. I gave you all, forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? You ungrateful wretch. And he threw him into jail. He gave up a life of mercy for pursuit of justice. You see how sad that story is? The unforgiving servant was unforgiving to others. The man who had been forgiven much could not love much about others. He had closed his heart off to the mercy of God. And therefore he closed his heart off to the mercy of others. Now if you haven't connected it yet. If you still have grudges, bitterness, mean-spiritedness, unforgiveness in any of your relationships right now, then you probably haven't been able to connect the gospel of Jesus to your relationship with that person. If you were to understand, look at the cross, understand the debts that you've been forgiven, and you can't apply that to the debt of somebody else, it's tough to think that you've connected the gospel to your personal relationships. We will pray in a few minutes. Lord, forgive us our sins, our debts, as we forgive the debts of others in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus ran into a a terribly sinful woman in chapter 7 of Luke's Gospel, and he says, her sins, which were many, have been forgiven because she loved much. She felt all that forgiveness so she could love much. He says, but if you've been forgiven little, if you don't understand how much you've been forgiven, you're going to love little. 
It's all proportion. Forgive us our trespasses. As Tim Keller puts it, there's no better way to know that you have a saving relationship with God based on grace than to look into your heart at your ability to forgive those who have wronged you. I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard work. It's gospel work. But if we don't do the work, we are the ones imprisoned by unforgiveness. So applications here. First of all, Ezekiel 36 says, When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, you'll take your heart of, fle- heart of stone and begin to turn it into a heart of flesh. So if you've got a hardened heart towards somebody, let the Holy Spirit come and wash it away. Let the Holy Spirit do what only God can do. Secondly, literally, have your heart go out to that person. Because you're a sinner just like they are. You may, they may not have done the same thing that you've done, but you've done something similar. And what we like to do is like to caricature people. You ever been to a caricature artist? Uh, you know, I, I'm afraid to go to one. I don't want to know what they would make me look like. But if you got big ears, they make your ears bigger. If you got a big nose, they make your nose bigger. We like to do that. Somebody sinned or hurt us, so, so we go and gossip about it, make it into a big deal, and we caricature that person. Have your heart go out to that person in pity and love to your perpetrator. Absorb the debt yourself. Oh, it feels good to hold on to that grudge. Take your pound of flesh and continue to pound until you feel like they've, they've paid enough. The gospel says absorb the debt into yourself. Give up the right to gossip. Give up the right to sting that other person and hurt that other person. In fact, the whole parable ends this way. And in anger, verse 34, his master delivered the underling, the under king, to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. He's in jail, the jail of unforgiveness. And the concluding verse is, so will my heavenly Father do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. Releasing that person from the prison of unforgiveness will begin to release you from the prison of unforgiveness. I guarantee it. What you do when you forgive somebody else is not a feeling. It's an act of the will. You've got to choose to do it. But what you're doing in doing that is you're cutting off the oxygen to the fire of unforgiveness. You're cutting off the oxygen. And feelings will follow actions. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind and tenderhearted to one another, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Kind and tenderhearted. Keep the cross ever before you. Remind yourself of the debt that's been canceled in your own life so that you can extend that grace to others. Corey Ten Boom, and I'll, I'll leave it with this. Dutch woman uh, during World War II living in the Netherlands. She and her sister Betsy uh, took um, some of the Jews and befriended them during the Holocaust and hid them away so that they wouldn't be killed. Later, she was found to be one of these people hiding the Jews away. So she and Betsy were put to trial and convicted. They themselves were put into a concentration camp where Betsy ended up dying, okay? She ended up dying. Later, Corey Ten Boom would be a preacher of the gospel. Some years later, she's preaching in Munich, Germany, and she looks out, and on the front row is one of the SS guards that guarded the bathhouse where she and her sister Betsy would bathe. The SS guard whose hands would run over and grope her and her sister in their naked bodies every day. 
that callous man, that hardened man, that abusive man was in the front row of the church as she preached. She remembered as she looked at him the heaps of clothes on the ground, Betty's, Betsy's pain and shame in her face. And there he was coming up to her after the church was emptying that day, after she had preached, and she looks him in the eye and says to her, him, her, how grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, to think, as you say, Jesus has washed away my sins. As he stuck out his hand to shake her hand, she said, I couldn't do it. I was angry. Vengeful thoughts boiled through my head. I tried to smile. I tried to raise my hand, but I couldn't do it. So I silently prayed, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And as he took my hand, she says, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, down my arm, through my hand, a current seemed to pass. While into my heart sprang a love for the stranger that almost overwhelmed me. She did the impossible through the grace of Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit, taking a cold, hard heart and making it a heart of flesh again. She forgave the unforgivable. She gave love to the unlovable. She showed mercy to the merciless. All because she remembered the gospel of Christ and allowed the Holy Spirit to transform her heart. So I pray that we'll all do that. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit. This is difficult work. This is hard work. We all have people in our lives that have hurt us and we've hardened our hearts towards them. We want to get our pound of flesh and we want to know how many times we've got to forgive before we can go back at them. Dear Lord, pierce our hearts with the gospel. Pierce us with the Holy Spirit that is sent to change our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. Help us to love as we've been loved to cancel debts as our debts have been canceled. Help us not to be in the prison of un, unforgiveness any longer, dear Lord. Help us to let it free, let it go, to live in the glory of your Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.